And so when I'm thinking about what I should, uh, what I should preach on these Wednesday night and Sunday night occasions, I am often, uh, you know, I, I have several options. I could either continue to preach through Galatians as I have been. I could continue to uh, go through the Baptist Catechism as I often do on Wednesday and Sunday nights. Or I could preach whatever it is that the Lord has specifically directed us or, you know, the Lord has impressed upon us that uh, our church needs, things that we need to hear. So sometimes what you'll hear me preach on Wednesday nights and Sunday nights are things that have been on my heart on the week for our church or things that have been brought to my attention uh, or things that I have uh, come to think about because of the conversation that I had, that I have had with a either a church member or a fellow Christian somewhere, and I pray that they would be a um, pray that they would be a encouragement to the body of Christ. Pray that they would be an encouragement to you guys. So tonight, as I was getting ready uh, for what I was going to preach today, I had a whole other topic plan, whole other sermon plan, and then I, uh, because of the conversation that I had la last night with a brother and sister from the church, I felt it necessary to talk about this. Uh, sometimes we get a, que a question is, Christian parents, wh what should we do with our kids? Our kids aren't engaging with the messages that are being preached at church. Our kids aren't getting it. Our kids aren't uh, learning it. They're disinterested, it seems, in what we are uh, what we are doing here, and it's, um, and, uh, you know, I get questions not just from church members, but from Christian friends live elsewhere or go to other churches. Well, what do I do to uh, get my child to engage with church and engage with the gospel and with the scriptures? And so I thought it helpful to answer that question to make a case for worship in the family. Family worship, family devotions. Uh, so I titled tonight, A Case for Family Worship. And uh, this is going to be a little bit out of the normal for me. Usually I like to do an exegetical sermon. I open up the Bible and I go verse by verse through it for our purposes tonight. Um, I'm not going to... I'm not going to be able to do that. It's just too broad of a topic for me to get in and really expound the scriptures. But I want to give you scriptural wisdom on this because the Word of God does speak to how we should uh, train our children in religious matters, in matters of scripture, of how we should raise them as Christians. What is our duty as Christian fathers and Christian mothers to our children who are we we are raising in a Christian home we have many of our kids that we have dedicated them when they're at a young age to the Lord and we have said Lord with your help uh, we did a baby dedication for Raphael here not too long ago and when we did that you know we said we prayed for Mike and Judy to 
be able to uh, raise their children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord and disciple their children. And uh, that's, a, that's a biblical command. I want, if you have your Bibles, I want everybody to turn to Proverbs 22. And we'll start building our case from there. Proverbs chapter 22. It's a familiar verse. Most of you probably could quote it from memory. Many of us grew up, this was a memory verse. And uh, it was always, you know, told to us by our parents or whoever the mentor in our life was that was taking us to church or responsible for our spiritual care. For some of us, it wasn't our mother or father, but with an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent that was responsible for it, but they would always say, Proverbs 22, 6 says, what? Train up, yeah. train up a child in the way they should go. And when he is old, he'll not depart from it. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he'll not depart from it. We are living in an age, we are living in a time where there are so many young people that if they have come to the faith, if they are coming to church, if they are involved at all, they eventually depart from it. For some of them, it's high school when they become a teenager and they decide that going to church with my mom and dad just isn't cool anymore. It's not a cool thing to do. My friends at school don't go to church, so therefore... You know, I don't want to go because I don't want to be the kid that will stand out. I don't want to be the kid that, I don't want to be weird. I want people to like me. I want people to think I'm cool, so I'm not going to go anymore. And a lot of times, parents today want to put that blame for that back on the church. They want to put the blame on that back on the culture. They want to put that blame onto uh, the public school systems. And there are so many excuses that Christian parents want to have. And I'm not trying to be derogatory or cut anybody down. This is just, it's a problem we're facing in this day and age. Kids are leaving the church in droves and we can't seem to figure out why. And we want to point fingers at the church and we want to point fingers at school. But the fact of the matter is it starts in the family. This exhortation in Proverbs 22 is directed at fathers. Train a child up in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. When God began dealing with people way back in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, he dealt with the patriarchs. He dealt with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He dealt with Moses. He dealt with Noah. He dealt with the patriarchs. Christian fathers, we have been called to lead our family. And a lot of the case that we have when uh, children come, or when parents come to us, or we hear of parents saying, I don't know what to do to get my kid engaged. I don't know what to do to keep them, um, keep them in the Word, to keep them in church, to keep them interested, uh, you know, to keep them 
interested in having a relationship with Jesus and fellowship with the church, you know, what do we do? And uh, when you ask them, well, what are, you, what are you doing at home? What are you doing at home to help with this? And sometimes you get the look, well, well, what do you mean what am I doing at home? That's what we come to church for. That's what we got a pastor for. That's what we got Sunday school teachers for. That's what we got youth pastors for. I mean, and it's becoming kind of like, you know, it's kind of like a, a daycare. And it's a sad reality, but it's, it, I mean, it's true. I, I have seen, and not here so much, praise God, but in other churches that I've been to where parents show up and it's like the school drop-off lane. you got parents driving by and dropping their kids off in front of the church. The kids run in and then it's, well, either we'll come pick you up afterwards or walk home after. And it's kind of like public school. You're dropping them off for the day and you're leaving them with teachers who will teach them. And then they go home and there's no Christian discipleship happening throughout the week. The only thing they are getting is Sunday morning at church. And I think that is the case for pastors to say when we're figuring out how we're going to do church, we need to uh, you know, we need to do the best we can at discipling these kids. But the, the fact of the matter is if they're not being trained up at home, we only get them for a couple hours on Sunday. And if the way they're living at home the way that life is lived out at home isn't consistent with what they're hearing here for two hours every Sunday, it's a good chance they'll depart from the faith. It's a good chance they won't make it to 18 with a solid biblical relationship with God or a full knowledge of Christ and his gospel. It's just that reality that we have to face it. And it's, it's, not, uh, it's not a new problem, but it is. It depends on how you want to define new. If I had to put a marker on it, probably the 60s or 70s, and that was before my time, but just reading on studies on how church, on, on how the history of church in America has went, that's when the drop-off started. Because Christianity ceased to be about a holistic lifestyle of living unto God and it became something we do for a couple hours on Sunday and maybe a little bit Wednesday night and maybe Sunday night if your church is really committed. But most of them, it's two hours on Sunday morning or less and that's the only time they pick up a Bible. That's the only time we, they pray. And then we wonder why our children depart from the faith. So with that, I want to make a case, not so much a biblical, I, I, I do want to make a biblical case, but I want to make a case from history because the fact of the matter is, and you've probably heard Kevin say it a hundred times and me say it a hundred times, 50 years ago, kids knew the Bible much better than our children do today. Kids... 75 to 100 years ago knew the Bible better than most people sitting in church. 100 or more years ago, the children who were going through the catechisms and, learn, and having family worship at their homes knew 
the Bible better than some people who stand behind the pulpits and call themselves pastors today. And that is a crying shame. It is just a shame that we have such a lack of biblical knowledge in our day and age when we have so many resources, commentaries, and uh, Bible study helps and tools on the internet. I mean, 25, 30 years ago or less, pastors had to spend half of their yearly salary just to have books and commentaries and study helps and stuff so that they could study the Bible. Now you can get on your cell phone and you can look up anything you want to know about Scripture, if you're having trouble, there's all kinds of resources out there. And parents ought to be making use of these resources so that they can teach their kid so that when their child comes to church on Sunday, they know how to interact with the scriptures. They know what they're supposed to expect out of the message. They know what they're supposed to hear because they are living this thing seven days a week and not just on Sunday. Family worship was a much more common practice 50 years ago, and certainly 100 years ago. Uh, I, uh, I didn't take a chance to write anything down, but it's fascinating. You can read old church logs from Baptist churches 50, 60 years ago, and there was uh, fathers who were being uh, put under church discipline because they weren't leading their families in worship. Their, their children were showing up at church without them. Their wives were showing up to church without them. And their pastors were knocking on their door and saying, hey, why aren't you in church? Hey, why aren't you leading your family? Hey, why aren't you praying with your family? Why aren't you teaching your kids the Bible? That was just the reality. But nowadays, you can't say that. You can't ask people why they didn't come to church. You can't ask people why their kids aren't in church. You can't ask people why their children aren't reading the Bible at home. It's almost, it's like a slap in the face. Well, who are you to ask me what I'm doing? You know, I have my, I have my time with you on Sundays, and that's the only time you're supposed to know what I'm doing. Other than that, just stay out of it. That's the way we view church today. And I've told this story before, I know, but when I was a kid, I can remember missing, I can remember missing church services. And even, that was only, I mean, that was only 15, 20 years ago. You know, when I was a child, I'd miss church. And uh, if I missed a couple weeks, uh, Ron Brown or Dale Calloway would be down at my door saying, hey, buddy, where you been? And, I, and back then, that annoyed me. What business is it of yours where I've been? I've been hanging out with my friends. It's summertime. I've been down on the river fishing. I drive my bicycle down the river with my fishing pole. You know, I've been out fishing. Leave me alone. But nowadays, it saddens me that we don't see more of that. Christians reaching out to other Christians. Hey, we missed you. Where have you been? The accountability is everything. But nowadays, it's unloving, considered unloving to hold anybody accountable to what they ought to be doing as a Christian. So I found some quotes from some really old guys 
dead guy, the people who wrote the good books. Well, okay, he's he's the really young guy I got down here. Some of these guys have been dead for uh, longer than this building's been here, and it's been here since the late 1800s. So. Tell him, you told him the soldier broke in the dragon. It's the gray beard. Okay. <laughs> but uh, uh, George Hammond wrote a work called the case for family worship, where I took my title from tonight. And I wanted to start off with him, and his subtitle, Puritans had subtitles for everything, and some of their subtitles were as long as the, the first paragraph of their book. But I really liked this one. It was the case for family worship, an answer to the question, upon what grounds and reasons may family worship be a established and enforced. You can't use that language when you're talking to Christians today, can you? And enforcing family worship. Right, right. Established and enforced. Well, that, that sounds too formal. We don't need formal religion. We just need a relationship. And, and what do you mean enforcing me to do anything? You, you can't enforce family worship. But I can tell you Back when this book was written in the 1500s, family worship was enforced. It was a matter of church discipline if fathers were not doing this with their children. Mothers weren't doing this with their children. Families weren't doing this. This was a serious matter. Why? Because it matters, right? It matters. And I think the failure to do it has resulted in the view that we have of worship in church today. That was a conversation that my wife and I had when we first, when I was first convicted about it, that we need to be doing this family worship. I said, you know, I think if we would do family worship here at the house, it would train our children to know what it's like to sit while the word is being preached, to participate while prayers are being offered to God, to sing while singing is being done, and we wouldn't have children sitting in back pews on their cell phones with their feet kicked up, poking their butt. And it all starts with family worship. It starts at home. Good habits start at home. If you want good kids, you can't expect to send them to school and they come home with good kids. You can't expect to send them to church and they come home Bible scholars. Discipleship starts at the home. Education starts at the home. I think it's a crying shame, and I know I'm taking a little while to get to this, but you hear, you hear parents these days and they say, well, I just want to let them carve out their own way, you know. I don't want to force anything up on them. I don't want to indoctrinate my child. I don't want my child to believe something just because I believe it. That's not a Christian worldview. It's not consistent with biblical, the biblical mandate for fathers. Christian, you better indoctrinate your kids. Because if you don't, the world will. And what they indoctrinate them with is much worse than anything you're ever going to tell them out of this book. 
And if you don't believe me, just, just search up some of the things that they're required now to teach their children in public school. Search up some of the things that they're wanting to do. Um, you know, we're, we're talking sex education with third graders. Transgender education with fourth graders. First, first graders want to teach them about, uh, you know, transgenderism and all this other stuff. If you don't indoctrinate your kids with scripture, they will be indoctrinated with much worse. So it's not loving to your children to let them carve out their own way. It is loving to raise them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord and train them up in the way that they should go so that when they are older, they will not depart. George Hammond, in his book, A Case for Family Worship, had this to say. When you search thoroughly, search into the scripture, grounds and reasons for family worship, you will find them to be as strong and prevalent to establish daily worship as the worship itself. For you may observe that our blessed Savior, giving directions about prayer, prescribed this petition. Giveth this day our daily bread. Here it is evident that daily bread must be daily asked for. It is not then sufficient that we pray for bread once a month, once a week, or every three or two days. But this must be done every day. And I doubt not but every serious person believes daily grace to be as valuable and necessary as daily bread. That our souls want supplies as well as our bodies. I am willing to hope that family worship, of which prayer is an essential part, will be sufficiently asserted in this discourse to follow, and if so, by our Savior's determination, there must be daily family prayer. Amen. Amen. Teach your children where their daily bread comes from. Teach your children to rely on God. The childhood and teenage suicide rate is through the roof. Children's, er, children being in despair, feeling like they have nothing left, and taking their own life as young as I personally knew a family uh, from my hometown here last year, their 14-year-old daughter, just several days after her 14th birthday, took her own life because of bullying at school. She felt she had nowhere else to turn to. Parents, teach your children to rely on God daily for their daily bread, for their daily grace, for their daily hope. That would reduce it so drastically. If they would know that there is hope beyond this life, there is hope beyond what that bully over there is saying, or your reputation that this girl is trying to ruin. Teach him to rely on God. And family prayer is an essential part of that. He said it was Christ's determination that there must be daily family prayer. Some of us, me included, don't do that near enough. We resort to worry. We resort to everything else. But gathering around as a family and saying, hey, we're going to pray about it. Teach your children to pray. 
teach him to depend upon God. Vodi Bakum says, In most families, Jesus owns your Sundays, but does he own your home? He owns our Sundays. Sundays are for you, Lord. We're going to church. We're walking after you on Sunday. Does he own you as much on Sunday as he does on Monday? Does he own you as much Tuesday night as he does Sunday morning? Does he owe you own you as much Wednesday night as he does Saturday night? This Christian life is a 24-7, 365 day a year commitment. And we are we should be committed to raising our children like that. I want to take a look at our confession, 1689. Just a little past where George Hammond was in the 1500s, but still an old document, and it still shows the same commitment that Hammond had for family worship. I want to get here when I'm working with Paragraphs 5 and 6 of the 1689 Second London Baptist Confession, which this, this chapter is on religious worship and the Sabbath day. Chapter 22. Uh, and paragraphs 5 and 6. Uh, paragraph 5 of the Confession in chapter 22 says the reading of the scriptures, preaching, and hearing the word of God, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in our hearts to the Lord, as also the administration of baptism, the Lord's Supper, are all parts of religious worship of God, to be performed in obedience to him, with understanding faith, reverence, and godly fear. Moreover, soul of humiliation with fastings and thanksgiving upon special occasions ought to be used in a holy and religious manner. This is talking about worship, what our Christian worship looks like. And you notice they talk about hearing the word, teaching of the word, admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, as we did just moments ago when we sang from the hymnals. We're teaching each other things when we sing. When we sing, Jesus paid it all. We are preaching the gospel in song. Jesus paid the debt of sin on the cross. When you sing, you are not just entertaining yourself or your neighbor. You are teaching a truth about Christ. We are teaching truths when we sing. We are hearing truth when we hear the preaching. When we read God's word, we are hearing truth. This is the paragraph that I really wanted to read because it opens up that this, this worship that we are called to do as Christians is not just when we are gathered here on Sundays and Wednesdays. This is a seven-day-a-week commitment, and our confession of faith says this much. Paragraph 6, neither prayer 
nor any other part of religious worship if now under the gospel tied unto or made more acceptable by any place in which it is performed or towards which it is directed but God is to be worshipped everywhere in spirit and in truth as in private families daily and in secret each by oneself so more solemnly in public assemblies which are not care carelessly nor willfully to be neglected, forsaken when God by his word or providence calls thereunto. Now, I think it goes without saying that we have people that aren't here that should be here. And I think it goes just as much without saying, sadly, that those people that aren't here that should be here aren't sitting at home because they're doing family worship. You see, missing family worship, downplaying the importance of private devotion and family devotion before God, begins to take a toll on your view of devotion to God in the life of the church. See, church attendance numbers are falling. And people don't know why. But it's because long before church attendance declined in America, family worship declined. Long before what was known as uh, this rampant Western individualism took over and everybody thought they didn't need the church, families got the wrong idea about what it meant to be a Christian. And now it's just my private walk with God, and I can walk it out however I want. I don't need to worship with other Christians, not even my family. I just need my, you know, I just need my time alone with Jesus, and that's all I need. Nothing else required of me. Turn with me to Psalm 107, the 107th Psalm, verse 1 through 9. 107, verse 1 through 9. Speaking of the redemptive power and the greatness of God's mercy, the psalmist writes, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy, and gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. And he led forth by the right way, that they might go into the city of habitation. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, and for his wonderful works to the children of men. God has always dealt with families. The head of the household, a man's first ministry, before he is a pastor, before he is a deacon, before he is a worship leader, before he serves in his church, 
His first ministry is to his wife and his children. God is to be worshipped in the family. We want to know, we want to get behind this idea. We want to get to the bottom of this problem and we want to know why the church is so messed up. We want to know why we can't get anybody to commit to the church. We want to know why there's not sound doctrine in churches. We want to know why there's not devotion to God in churches. We want to know why there's not service to neighbor in churches. And the reason is because there's not sound doctrine in families. There's not devotion to God in families. There's not service to neighbor in families. Another Puritan author, Richard Baxter, in his work, A Christian Directory, the practical works of Richard Baxter, wrote, Family Reformation is the easiest and likely way to a common Reformation, at least to send many souls to heaven and train up multitudes for God, if it reached not to national Reformation. If we want to see a revival in our churches, revival has got to start in the home. It doesn't work the other way around. We can't revive your family. If your family has lost their spark and has lost their zeal for church attendance and for service and for fellowship with other Christians, the problem didn't start here. It started at your home. Consistency is the number one way to maintain anything. It's just, it's a common, you know, if you have a desire to be fit, you have a desire to be in shape, and you say, okay, I want so bad to be in shape, I'm going to go run for 30 minutes once a week. That's not very consistent. And you're not going to see very good results. Because guess what? When you do something every day, missing it once doesn't affect you that bad. If you're working out every day and you're just really sore and you can't do it, so you say, okay, well, I'm not going today. I'll, I'll, you know, I'm not going tomorrow. I'll go Friday. It'll be better for you. You'll bounce back a lot quicker than you say, oh, well, I, I missed this Sunday, or I went this Sunday, so I'm not going next Sunday. Now you've went seven days without being in your Bible. You went seven days without running, and then you're going to go another seven, so you're going to go 14 days without running and try to get out there and run three miles. Yeah. How wore out are you going to be? Consistency is the key. Consistency is the way we revive our families. Reviving our families is the way that we revive the church. Family reformation is the easiest and the likely way to a common reformation. Family revival is the way to a common Revival, a, a revival among the, 
among the churches. And I would add to that a revival that lasts. Some churches, they get, they get ramped up about the thing. They're doing it. They're living the Christian life. They're, they're all in one mind, one accord. They're together. They're doing it. And then it falls apart. Where did it fall apart first? The family. Wilhelmus of Brockle, another uh, old guy, another dead guy who wrote a lot of very good things, wrote in the Christian's Reasonable Service, which was his magnum opus, he says, first, the time of prayer considered in a general sense is every day, every opportunity, always. Specific times of prayer are when we engage in it corporately, be it in public, public gatherings, in private gatherings, or in our individual family worship, which ought to be conducted in every Christian family. This was, this was a standard, you see. This was a standard. Family worship in this day and age, really, I'll, te I'll tell you, I, did not, I didn't hear about family worship until I discovered Reformed theology. I didn't know about family worship. I didn't think about family worship. I didn't even know it was a thing. And then the first time somebody talked about doing family worship, I was like, what is this new thing? People are doing family worship? I thought it was new. I had never done it in my life. Yeah, but it, but now it just seems, but it does, it seems like it ought to be so commonplace. What? You mean a Christian father should really gather his kids around and teach them the gospel? You mean that a Christian father ought to gather his family around when the family is getting ready for bed or getting ready in the morning and they should have a time of prayer and meditate upon the word of God day and night as it says to do in the Psalms? I mean, and I here I thought it was just the thing that was peculiar to a group of people. Every Christian should be doing this. And very many Christians are not. I wasn't. And when I heard that I was supposed to be doing it, and I saw the biblical case for it, I was convicted. Because it comes down to this. Family worship is doing no more than what Proverbs 22, 6 says. At the end of this, I aim to give you seven steps to implement family worship in your home. And there, ain't, there is not a one of them that requires you to be a Bible scholar, a worship leader, a pastor, any of that. Implementing family worship in your home is easy if teaching your kids the Word of God that you claim as a Christian to believe. It's that easy. This ought to occur, Brackle says, Brockle, however you pronounce it. Brackle. This ought to occur both morning and evening. And if the opportunity permits, also at noon. 
At this time, the father, or if he is absent or unable to do this, the mother must read a chapter, speak about it, catechize children and servants, sing a psalm together, and bow and offer prayer, all in accordance with the ability the Lord grants each one. Joshua desired to serve the Lord with his house. Joshua 24, 15. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Not Joshua 24, 15. Not, not I'm going to do it and hope my family joins in. The father made he, he, he was the male figure. He was the father of the household. And what did he say? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will. Christian parents, we have to make that commitment not to let our children get slack in this thing and just say, well, I'm doing it. Doesn't matter if my kid does. You have to stand up and make that declaration. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As long as you are living in my house, son, as long as you are living in my house, daughter, we as a family are going to serve the Lord. And then we have Christians that say, oh, well, but I'm not going to indoctrinate my kids. I'm not going to force anything on them. I want them to come to it on their own. They won't. It's not natural for man to come to the Lord. It's not natural for man to humble himself to the Lord. That's, that, that's what Ephesians 2 says, right? We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God being rich in mercy. It doesn't happen by osmosis. Your, your unbelieving child isn't just going to wake up one day and say, Oh, well, I had a dream last night, and now I believe everything that Jesus said about who he is. They must be taught. You must teach them. Because if you don't teach your child who Jesus is, the world will teach them everything that Jesus is not. You must make a commitment, fathers. You must make a commitment, mothers, to raise your children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. And I'm speaking to myself just as much as I am anybody. I'm a father. I became a father in the spring of 2019. And this message is just as much for me as it is for you. Cornelius feared God with all of his house. Acts chapter 10, verse 2. Brackle says, One must make of his home a small church. For then the Lord will bless the home. Children and servants will learn to fear the Lord and thus will experience salvation. It will beget mutual love and there will be mutual respect, restraining everyone from sin. And one will exemplify godliness, each to one another, and follow each other in this way. We must take use of all these opportunities and take them into consideration both when praying and when following the example of others. They, when we do this in our families, 
godliness will flourish in this culture. We must do this. He says, it will beget mutual love and there will be mutual respect restraining everyone from sin and one will exemplify, exemplify goodness to each other and follow each other in this way. If you want to see Christian, if you want to see your children live in productive Christian lives, you have to be the model. You have to stay, you have to model it for them. As Christians, we cannot say, do as I say, not as I do. Because the fact of the matter is, for as many times as I'm sure we've all heard that from our parents, do as I say, not as I do. It doesn't matter how many times we say that, they do as we do. Because if we're saying it, and we're not doing it, they're going to say, well, Dad, Dad talks about being devoted for the Lord to the Lord, and Dad talks about worshiping God seven days a week, but we're not doing it. We're, we're, not, we're not doing family worship. We're not, we're not praying together. For, I can't remember the last time my dad prayed with me before I went to bed. But he, he said we ought to pray. You know, he read me the Bible verse where it said men ought to pray always, but we don't pray. We must do this. Be the example because your children will do what you do no matter what you say. The best way to, to get your children to live the Christian life that we should all strive to live is to have it modeled before them. God help all of us, right? So we talked about prayer extensively. Pray, we, we need to realize that prayer is worship, right? In every religion, who you pray to is who you worship. That is the one common in all world religions. There is prayer. There is offering a prayer to a deity. Prayer is worship. That's how they knew uh, who the idolaters were in the Old Testament because they went out and they prayed at these astropoles, right? Prayer is worship. But also the other forms of worship. We should be reading the word. We should be teaching our kids the word. Even singing. Nathaniel Holmes, who lived from 1599 to 1678, wrote a work called Gospel Music, or the Singing of David's Psalms. And he said, every well-minded family, by singing, can make themselves a little church. And every church make themselves a little heaven. Nathaniel Holmes. But that's true. Make every home a little church, right? We sing in church. Make every home a little church. And every church a little heaven. Where the saints are gathered together singing. Saints, do you realize that for all eternity when we pass on from here, our, the entirety of our lives will be spent in worship to God. And some people who would profess the name of Christ 
can't even be bothered with it for an hour a week. Two hours a week. Three hours a week, let alone seven days a week. You, you, you can't be bothered to worship God for an hour or so a week, but you can't wait till we all get to heaven and we sing day and night forever and ever. You didn't want to do that while you're on earth, but you're telling me honestly you're not being deceitful with me when you're telling me that you want to spend the rest of your life because guess what? If you want to go to heaven, there's a lot of people that say they, say they want to go to heaven, but they don't want to come to church. What we do is we are going to, we're go, Revelation tells us all about it. We're going to be singing day and night. Angels are going to be proclaiming before the, word, before the throne, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. We're going to be listening to the wonderful works of God proclaimed. And we are going to be singing worship to God for all of our days. Tens of thousands of years to come. Eternally, we will sing praises before the throne of God. And we cannot be bothered to do it one day a week, let alone seven. Or seven days a week, let alone one. But Christian, if you are a born-again believer, once you depart from this earth, you will spend every waking moment of your life in worship before the throne of God. That's right. That's right. And so we ought to prepare for it right now. What are we doing when we're singing together? We're practicing for glory. Amen. We are preparing ourselves for glory. That is what this Christian life is about, is preparing us to serve God in the new heavens and the new earth. As we close, some of you are like, "Whoa, he made it through it. I could have said a lot more. I want to give you seven steps to family worship. I found this on, uh, this is uh, in Vody Balcom's book um, on the, um, gospel-driven family. But it was on. The, it's also on the Crossway website, crossway.com. And this is seven steps to family worship. Number one, family worship must be born of conviction. Balcom says, as parents, you must be convinced that this is something you need. Without this conviction, follow-through will be next to impossible. Don't just do it. Be, don't just do it because I said to do it tonight. Sit down, search the scriptures, pray about it. You need to square it within your mind and with your heart, within your heart, that this is something that the Lord requires of you. This is something that the Lord means to use to grow you and your children. You must be convicted. Family worship must be born of conviction. Number two, family worship begins with the head of the household. I, I saw a study a while back, and I wish I could remember the exact figures, but it was something like 93% of the, 
of families that attend church 93% of the time, if the father attends, the whole family attends. Only 70-some percent of the time, if a mother attends, does the whole family attend. 73 for mothers. And then if the only kid, and then there's, I, I can't remember, there was a percentage of people that it was just the kids going to church. 36%. I'm glad you can remember those numbers. But 36% of kids are doing, like I said earlier, they're getting dropped off at the church. And Okay, we'll come and pick you up afterwards or you can walk home or ride home with your friend. And the family doesn't go to church and it's just the kids. But 93% of the time. If the father goes to church, the whole family's in church. The problem is, fathers are the least common demographic in the church. Married men are the least common demographic in, in the church. Well, I think single men, but closely followed by married men, and that shouldn't be. There are countless wives going to church without their husband because he's just too stubborn, or he's afraid the ceiling will fall down on him if he comes into place, or but that's just, that's the way it is. I've heard guys say that kind of stuff. I know Mike's sitting there laughing, but I've, but I've heard people say these kind of things. Well, I, I mean, the wife and the kids go to church, but I, did you imagine if I went in there, that place would catch on fire? And they don't see the seriousness of it. They joke about it. They make jokes about it. But they're not discipling their family the way God commends them to. And eventually... The wife will quit going because she's frustrated that the husband won't go. And she maybe she's ashamed because all the other married women have their husbands there, but her husband won't go. So she gets discouraged and they quit coming. Mom and dad quit coming. It's not very often. 36% of the time do the kids continue to go to church. And even if they do continue, it's usually until about 18, 16 in some cases. And then they're done. They're done with the church because they weren't trained up in the way a child should go. Family worship begins with the head of the household. Wives, don't demand that your husband start family worship. It needs to come from him. That, co that corresponds back to one. It must be conviction. If you're just doing it, husband, because your wife said to do it, you're not doing it with the right heart. And the heart is everything in worship. Family worship number three. Family worship must be scheduled. If we don't plan a time to worship, we'll skip it. It takes about 30 days to form a habit. So forming a worship schedule will help ingrain it into the family pattern. Now I realize, families, we're busy. We've got things going on. We can't do it at the same time every night. But shoot for that goal. Have a time say, this is family worship time. If it's after dinner, if it's before dinner, if it's before bedtime, if it's before school, however your schedule shakes out. Yeah. However your, however your schedule shakes out, plan it. Make a habit of it. And in 30 days, your kids will be ready to do it. You know, 7 a.m., if that's when you do it, 30 days later, your kids will be on the couch at 7 a.m. with their Bibles in hand, ready to go. Because it they will form the habit. It must be scheduled. Forming a worship schedule will help to ingrain it into your pattern. It will become a part of daily life. 
Number four, family worship not, must be simple. It must be simple. It doesn't need to be a big production. Balkum says, no PowerPoints necessary. All you need is commitment to gather together with the Word of God. Keeping it simple makes it easy to spice up or simplify when you want to. You could have an elaborate family worship. You could just get really into the singing, and maybe Dad plays guitar, and he could get his guitar out, and you could have a worship session right there, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, and love it. But it doesn't have to be, uh, we're going to sing four songs, Dad's going to preach for 30 minutes, and then we're going to pray. It could be as simple as, we're going to gather around, we're going to say a prayer, we're going to read the word, Dad's going to explain a few things, we're going to ask a few questions, then we're going to pray and we're going to go to school, or we're going to go to dinner, or we're going to go to bed. It doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be a production. As a matter of fact, Verdi Balkum says it shouldn't be. Family worship must be simple. And it makes it easy to spice up or simplify when you want to. There's no expectations. It doesn't have to look the same for my family as it looks for Mike's family or Kevin's family or anybody else in here. It just, it has to be something that we're going to do and we're going to make a commitment to do. And don't forget, it has to be born of conviction. Family worship must be natural. Don't try to be something you're not. This is not the time to pretend or be extravagant. Choose songs that your family loves to sing as study material that fit your situation in life. Your children can detect a lack of authenticity. Your children are the best at knowing when somebody's bluffing. If you're bluffing and you don't know your stuff and you're pretending to be, you, you, your son's going to look at you and be like, you don't even know how to, <laughs> you know, or in your, maybe, maybe it'd be your wife look at you and say, use that word in a, use that word in a sentence. Or what does that mean? Or you don't know what that means. Or 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 you might or it might just be that you say something and your 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 kids are like, huh? And then you're like and then you just repeat it and they're like, I don't understand that, explain it to me. And then you can't because you didn't really study. You're just trying to impress people with your words. It's your family, man. Cut it out. Keep it simple. Make it natural. It doesn't have to be extravagant. Your songs don't have to be extravagant renditions. You don't have to be in four-part harmony. Sing with grace in your heart to the Lord. Keep, be, uh, keep it natural. Number six, family worship must be mandatory. We must make it a habit. Nobody gets to skip out. Including sulky teenagers. Some people in this room have teenagers. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm looking at the teenagers in the room. It doesn't matter if you don't feel like doing family worship today. Do it anyway. It's mandatory. Don't let your children skip out just because they're in a bad mood. It might put you in a bad mood. But do family worship anyway. Nobody gets to skip out. Rebellion and family worship, Vody says, belong in different realms. They require separate attention. Don't let somebody's rebellion, rebellion 
distract from family worship. Do your family worship and deal with the rebellious separately. Rebellious kids, even if you don't want to, go to family worship. Go in there, get your Bible, pay attention. Because it's no different than what you're expected to do right here. And it shouldn't be. We can't make family worship optional and church mandatory. Because if we're going to make church mandatory and family worship optional, the lines are going to get crossed. Well, if I don't have to do this, then that means, hey, I can stay home while you guys go to church. <laughs> In my house, that'd be a big, eh, not happening. Finally, number seven, family worship must be participatory. Everybody must participate in family worship. That is not saying that children are expected to lead family worship or teach a Bible study, but it is saying that it's not a performance by one gifted member of the family. Because your father is a pastor doesn't mean you just get to sit there and listen to him talk. Because your mother is really gifted at teaching the Bible doesn't mean you need to let her just do it. Because your children sing way better than you do doesn't mean you get to set it out and just let them sing while you sit there and, you know, mouth the words and look at your cell phone. Family worship must be participatory. Everybody has a part to play in family worship. It's not a performance that that is by one gifted member of the family and is simply observed by everyone else. Invite your children to join in singing, choosing songs, reading scripture, or choosing scripture. What do you guys want to study? What do you guys want to learn? What do you guys want to know? Praying and discussing issues. Participation will help your children to grow and can even touch the heart of even that rebellious teen that didn't want to come in the first place. These are just seven simple things you can do. But remember that first point because it's the key. It's got to be conviction. Uh, I'm not telling you what to do, when to do, or how to do it. But you must get it in your mind that this is the problem the church is facing. And once they, and I think that if we see a revival in family worship, we will see a revival and a reformation in the church. And so I would pray that that message was well received. I would pray that it was helpful. I would pray that if you have any questions, whether you're here in the room or whether you're watching on Facebook, call me, text me, message the church. I get the messages for those. Message me, you know, and I can point you to some good resources. I can give you some pointers. I can tell you some things that have worked for me and some things that haven't worked for me. But I want to help you do this so that you and your family can grow and that you guys can love and serve Jesus and be conducive to what your local church wants to do and conducive to the design that God has for us as the gathering of his people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you, and Father, where repentance is needed, Lord, we come before you and we offer 
ourselves. We humble, we humble ourselves to realize, Lord, that sometimes we have ways of thinking about things that are just wrong-headed. Sometimes we, we will try everything but what you have prescribed for growth in our Christian life or growth in our family or for any problems our family might be facing. We will try everything but what you've prescribed. We struggle with our children in getting them to obey, but we forget the simplicity of Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's older, he'll not depart from it. Father, by your grace, I pray that you would instruct the hearts of each person here. Father, mother, daughters, and sons, Lord, instruct our hearts. Tune our hearts, Lord, in such a way that we would long to read your word, to hear your word, to sing your praises privately and in our homes and in our churches, Lord, that we may see the growth that we so desire. Father, we lean in this hour upon your grace, and we pray that you would help plant this conviction in each one of our hearts. Instruct us from your word. Instruct us by your spirit that we may do that which is pleasing to you. Father, I pray that your grace and your mercy would follow each one of these as we go this evening. And as we come back together again on Sunday morning to worship the Lord. We love you and we give you praise for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.